I want people to know that EMS is a lifestyle. Um, EMS are my superheroes and they're the glue that, you know, stays in the community. And um, I, over the last couple of years in COVID, I've reflected how much uh, COVID has affected the morale uh, of my staff. And so I wanted to pay a tribute to them. This episode of EMS One Stop is brought to you by Lexapol, the experts in policy, training, wellness support and grants assistance for first responders and government leaders. To learn more, visit lexapol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L. Com. Hello and welcome back to another edition of EMS One Stop. I'm your host as usual, Rob Lawrence, and this week we are in Northern California. We're getting about a bit. We were in Florida a few weeks ago with Chris Ceballero. We're in Sacramento this week at the California Ambulance Association Stars of Life, and uh, we've been interviewing a few stars. But also what I want to do is to actually talk to some of our EMS leaders. And uh, I've been doing a bit of a leadership session with some people around the country. Uh, we spoke to our good friend Rob Luckritz a few weeks ago about, uh, you know, the, the loneliness of command and leading people. And I want to introduce you all to Melissa Harris. And uh, if you don't live in Southern California or California in general, you may not have heard of Melissa Harris, but Melissa is a power woman, a ambulance leader, a self-starter, and she created and built her own ambulance organization, plural organizations. And so what I want to do is just take a moment to uh, introduce Melissa to you all and also for you to hear her backstory. So first of all, Melissa, welcome and go straight in to your backstory. Hi, Rob. Thank you for having me on. Um, I got into uh, the ambulance business in the year 2000. I started uh, when I was 23, just out of college. Started with two ambulances, and now I have 50. Run two ambulance companies. I absolutely love uh, what I do. I love giving back to the community, and I love mentoring all of my staff, and I get to do that because I'm not a huge company. I have uh, many family members that work for me and a lot of uh, management and staff that are like family to me that have worked for me for many, many years. So I am very excited that I have the opportunity to share this life with them. Obviously, like every EMS boss right now, every ambulance service owner right now, you're feeling the strain, you're feeling the pressure. We've come out of COVID, or have we discussed? That's another topic for another podcast. I asked some of our leaders this actually in a general session here at uh, the CAA Stars of Life earlier on today. But, uh, you know, as an owner, what keeps you up at night? Staffing. Uh, staffing has never been more challenging uh, than it is now. During covid uh, EMS schools were shut down and interrupted. And pre-COVID, uh, you know, you get about 30% leave EMS each year. So in three years, you have 100% turnover. And with the applicant pool drying up and not enough candidates, it has just been extremely challenging to attract good personnel. And, and that's for all sectors for nursing, paramedics, uh, and EMTs. 
So we try to be innovative and creative to try to attract new candidates into EMS. Uh, we are partnering up with a local hospital that um, we are going to provide EMT schooling. And if they sign a contract with us, we're just going to, you know, give back to the community and, and not charge for the schooling. So I'm hoping to uh, attract new candidates and bring EMS, more EMS personnel into the career. Now, for full disclosure, we're sitting in a, in a, in a room here in Sacramento and sitting behind us are actually members of your staff. And uh, do you want to show hello? Hello. Hello. So this is this is a sort of semi-live uh, EMS podcasting, and uh, the crews and the team are watching the boss uh, under the Rob spotlight here. But obviously, attracting folk is into the into the business, into the industry, into the profession. People have different names for it. It's a challenge right now. But uh, of course, once you've got them, you've got to keep them. And so I know you've got some some good good things going. I know you've got some amazing artwork, and I wanted to go on to that as well because I think that's pretty cool. You've got a lot of social media stuff happening. So just give us a rundown of, you know, how you're looking after the guys. I want people to know that EMS is a lifestyle. Um, EMS are my superheroes and they're the glue that, you know, stays in the community. And um, I over the last couple of years in COVID, I've reflected how much... Uh, COVID has affected the morale uh, of my staff. And so I wanted to pay a tribute to them. And so um, with the blessing of the Chamber of Commerce in Gardena, we did a whole block mural of uh, EMS. And so I'm really excited about that and to showcase that them because to me, they, there's no bigger heroes than them. Other things, though, you've got a great environment for them to work in. We heard from a previous podcast, and I'm going to steal some some footage from Jim Carris, who did uh, a, a great interview with uh, with your staff, actually, Melissa, about you know some of the, some of the issues and some of the things they've seen during COVID. Because I think it's important that we hear from them as well. But also looking after them on stations. I mean, one of the things you told me earlier is you know dur during COVID you reverted to 24-hour shifts, and then of course you had to almost cater for them. 24-7 because they just don't, don't get a chance to go home to, to do anything. It's been quite challenging. Uh, with COVID, a lot of restaurants cut back their hours and they work these grueling. My staff works 24 hours, some work 72 hours straight. And I was very concerned about the downtime, about them having the ability um, to get something to eat. And so what I started doing was providing food regularly for them. So they have uh, their their station looks somewhat similar to an apartment. They have a refrigerator, you know, full freezer. And I am pretty much the snack mom. I consistently <laughs> I do all the shopping myself and I get, you know, joy out of it. And um it's been tough, you know, you don't think about, but when they're out in an ambulance all day and they bring their lunch, where are they supposed to heat up their food? They don't have microwaves on, you know, um, out in between calls. It's been extremely challenging. So I like that at the station I can control, you know, their environment, the snacks, and make sure that when they work for me, they can always get a hot meal and a quick meal. 
You can follow us on Apple Podcast, on SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Podbean, Stitcher and Spotify. And we're going to have a quick message from our sponsor. Lexapol empowers first responders and public servants to best meet the needs of their residents safely and responsibly. Serving more than 2 million public safety and government professionals in over 8,000 agencies and municipalities, Lexapol offers a range of solutions that includes policies, training, behavioural health resources, news and analysis, and grant assistance services for law enforcement, fire rescue, EMS, local government, and other agencies dedicated to public safety. To learn more, visit lexipol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. Before we return to Melissa Harris, I'm going to flick the show over to Jim Carris, who's the Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of AmbuServe from Orange County. And Jim is also a podcaster in Southern California, and he is interviewing his own stars of life from AmbuServe, Ethan Garman, Wesley Graves, and Caitlin Humphrey. And they talk about life in EMS. Here's Jim. So the pandemic the last couple of years has all been unforeseen. We've all seen things that we just never could have imagined occur in the field. Can each of you share a moment of something that you thought was really dark and then contrast it with something that you thought was really amazing related to you, your partner, or somebody else in EMS that you found just really um, inspiring? First the dark and then the light. I remember transporting, I can't remember the hospital, but we transported a patient that was pregnant with twins, and she was also COVID positive. It wasn't exactly dark, it was just kind of sad, like, wow, this could really affect people in this way. She was clearly sick, she, you know, she couldn't breathe, poor vitals, this and that. Um, we transport her, we transported her somewhere, I can't recall, but... We don't know, you know, we don't keep tabs on our patients for the most part. Um, I'm fairly sure she got better. I'm hoping she did. And I remember uh, when we first started to transport COVID patients, we would always trans- we would transport them to hotels and stuff where they would just hold them for two weeks at least. And I was like, that's that's how they did it. Just We just transport them. We just transported them there and we left them there. And I was just like, wow. As far as I know, that, that still doesn't happen, right? Okay, yeah. I, I thought that was like a dark moment or an unfortunate moment. Like, it's kind of like rounding up sick cattle or something. And um, positive-wise, I just like the fact that, me personally, people are starting to comply with mask mandates and vaccine mandates. To me, I think we need them just, just to keep us safe and healthy. Uh, My darkest experience with COVID was a patient the same age as me, uh, early 30s, picking up from a hospital with a nurse, RT, myself, all in the back of the ambulance to care for this patient. And she was going to a higher level of care to be put on an ECMO machine for the last stitch effort to save her life. She had no prior medical conditions. Um, it was just, the family was at bedside. It was very sad and very meek situation. And that was the darkest it got for me was just realizing that it could happen to anybody. You could be healthy one day and then COVID the next and be in place on an ECMO machine, last ditch effort. And then the light, 
would be everybody coming together. We had everybody at station making PPE with 3D printer machines. Um, everybody had each other's back. People were compliant with staying home. Um, it was just good to see everybody rallying together to get through it. All right. Well, not my darkest moment, but I do, as Ethan was saying, with the first COVID patient, it's definitely like, a. all right, we're in this now. Like you hear about in the news, haven't really seen a case yet around us. Now we're transporting them. First one was a, out of an urgent care, just picked up a lady, mid-30s, coughing, all the regular symptoms, transported to an ER. I'm assuming she was fine later on, but like they were saying, we don't really get to follow up with most of our patients. Um, some of the darkest times were those nighttime evacuations from SNFs. We were be me, my crewmate partner, then like three other rigs. We would just be back and forth all night from one nursing facility that had an outbreak, getting them all to a facility where they were, the country villas specifically, they were getting pretty good at treating COVID patients. So, but just running those calls all night, we would, uh, just be back and forth, gowning up, throw it all away clean and then just repeat just over and over again um one of the positives has been definitely the like cleanliness the hygiene hand hygiene i mean i don't know if people before used to wash their hands for half a second but now i can definitely tell you i'm 20 seconds every time scrubbing scrubbing under my nails getting the back of the hand not just you know getting the hands wet and shaking off some water so yeah definitely the hygiene has gotten significantly better from covid unfortunately it had to happen but it is one of the positives. One more thing. Um, my partner, um, his wife is a charge. His wife is a ICU charge nurse. And the stories he would tell me about her that I was like, it, it like blew my mind. Uh, she worked in the ICU at Kaiser. And she would come home every day, emotional crying, this and that. Um, it was just more and more patients every day, young, old, big, small, whatever. Um, so many patients died, and the sad thing about that was um, the families can't come in and see them to talk to them to say goodbye. They don't have to call them or be on a, um, a video phone, you know, and talk to them to say goodbye for the last time. Like, each family member could talk for, like, a minute. The mother, the father, the, their kids, the uncle. I was just like, wow. Like, that's something from the movies or, like, some sci-fi show that you only hear about. And I was just like, this is real. This is no joke. I mean, that was pretty low, but that was her experience, not mine. So, but yeah. The things that affect us aren't just while we're on duty. We report to duty having a full 24 hour or 48 hours or in some cases longer period of time where we've been dealing with our family, our friends and our loved ones. And yet we clock in and go to work and that has to be put to the side to care for others. You touch on some really important parts of this. Let me um, shift gears a little bit. I, I have a, another thought that I want to see how you guys feel about it. Two things. One is, what do you find as rewarding for working in EMS? What drew you to it? What you really uh, think is super? And then for the public, if you could, what would you change about EMS, whether it's the working conditions, the public perception, EMS delivery, or what is it that you would love to see if you could wave your magic wand? Like I said earlier, what drew me to EMS was my brother. You know, he was trying to 
go into it, but he, he ventured into something else. But um, it's great to be able to help people, you know. Um, each day is different. It's not like an office job, you know, it's not a nine to five. I worked 24 hour shifts my entire career. So that's, that's super different. Um, it's different. Um, and I've seen being in, you know, being in LA, um, so many different cultures. I've heard every language under the sun. <laughs> um, been able to meet tons and tons of people and the EMS pay is a little bit of a change, I guess, you know, for what we, most people think we make, we all make six figures. We make tons and tons of money because of what we do, but it's not the case. You know, most, I think most companies are still at the minimum wage for starters. That's not the owner's fault, but that's just how it is. That's just how it has to work out. But I'm sure people would say, oh, the pay about their jobs, you know, but probably the pay because for what we do, for what we encounter. Yeah. So I got into EMS um, because I wanted to help people. I unfortunately got injured a lot as a child and was introduced to new firefighters about every couple months. So I got to see what they did. I loved the way that they always cared for me. And just how in a bad moment they could turn your day around and make you feel better about the uh, poor situation that you're in. So that's why I got into EMS. I enjoy helping people being outdoors. The long hours at first are difficult, but it has allowed me to continue my education while I'm not at work. And then the thing I would change is wages and the community's um, knowledge on what we do on a day to day basis and how little we're paid, the hours that we work, and just maybe we can get them in this fight with us. Uh, getting into EMS, that was right after college. I was working at a pizza place. Figured I need to do something with my degree. Everything in healthcare said, oh, you got to have these minimum hours of experience. So, found the EMT school got in that to get my patient contact hours. Um, as far as that though, the rewarding part I see a lot that we get to experience pretty often actually is that we're, most of our transports we're taking out of the hospital, inter-facility transport, so we can, uh, we'll take patients home, and especially during the height of COVID when, you know, family members, as Ethan was saying earlier, they're not able to see their loved ones, and now we're bringing them home and they're all ecstatic, so we've had quite a few of those in the last few years where, you know, they haven't seen their loved ones for weeks, maybe months even at a time, if they just, anything from like a simple surgery or, you know, if they're in there for something a little more serious. One of the, the, the things I would change, I mean, if we could, if they're, all these transports were just already paid for and we didn't have to do paperwork, would be kind of nice. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> we could just, you know, deal with the patients and stuff, but it's a little, you got to balance, you learn how to balance that out. But uh, yeah, just, you know, obviously to say something different other than wages. <laughs> but. What would you say to new EMTs or paramedics, or what is it that you do say to new EMTs or paramedics that you think would be most impactful on them and their ability to provide optimal patient care? Um, I would say, you know, when you're in school, when you're in EMT school, or stuff you see on TV, 
whatever show you watch, whatever movie inspired you to, or what, you know, we all have misconceptions about stuff that we don't, that, that we're about to jump into. Um, there are going to be some good times, some bad times. Um, there's a lot of negative aspects about our jobs. You know, like Caitlin said, the hours are long. If you're not accustomed to it, it's different. It can really affect your personal life. Like I said earlier, um, I've worked 24 hour shifts for 20 years and I'll never sleep the same again. Um, but it's very rewarding. It's very much worth it. Um, I've talked to so, so many people. They're like, well, you can go anywhere in the world and do what you do. You're always needed somewhere. So there is job security within EMS. And I would say it's, it's worth it. Go for it. My advice would be to not be afraid to ask questions to anybody, any partner, any supervisor, any nurse, any doctor. Learn as much as you can and find a good mentor and just trust in your schooling. Yeah, my advice to new EMTs when we're training them is first year safety, obviously, but then patient safety comes first. Don't worry if you don't get through the paperwork, tablet, whatever you might be doing. You can always finish that a little bit later, make sure the patient's okay. And then like uh, they were, both of them were kind of were saying, but the, this job opens you up to more tons of avenues in the healthcare and emergency medical service industry. So just, you know, if you want to become a nurse, talk to the nurses when you're waiting at the ER, see what, you know, or just, you know, kind of shadow them, see what they're doing on a day-to-day basis. You want to know what a doctor does? You know, when you see him around, ask him some questions. So firefighters, same thing. There's, most people are willing to help, especially new EMTs. They know they were all there at once. They all had a first shift, had a first patient, had a first patient go poorly. So everyone that you work with has had some experience. Okay, we've been rather serious here. Um, so we'll wrap it up with the last question, which is uh, a little bit freeform. Whatever you think is the most important thing in your limelight that you want to share as a California star of life. Now's your opportunity to say whatever it is you think the world needs to know. Um, being a native Angelino, that means being from Los Angeles, the greatest city in the world, one of the most diverse cities in the world. Uh, be good to each other. Treat each other well, and you'll get the same treatment back. Uh, mine would be along those same lines. Just live with integrity. Uh, treat people the way you want to be treated. And kindness goes so far in everything that you do. Yeah, just to reiterate what both of them were saying. But honestly, this is the first time I've been on a podcast. And <laughs> I was sure it was going to be to, you know, talk about the Lakers' chances of making the playoffs or if the Rams <laughs> can repeat as Super Bowl champs. But uh, I've been working in EMS, so I guess that's probably what I have the most knowledge on. Um, I do make my partners listen to Sports Talk Radio, so everyone knows that about me down at Shoreline. Name you serve. Um, but yeah, just like I said, ask questions, learn everything you can from whoever you want. Most, most people are willing to help you. Thanks to Melissa Harris for allowing us to do this and to Rob Lawrence for bailing me out and getting this uh, podcast actually recorded. Um, to each of you, again, thank you so much for your service to your communities. Um, to your leadership, 
at Ambuserve and and uh, for all you do for every patient uh, in the past, in the present, and in the future. My thanks to Jim Karras. And now let's return to my interview with Melissa Harris. Now, you're also a board member of the California Ambulance Association. And in order to fix some of the problems that we're having, of course, we are on the legislative warpath, particularly here in California. We had a sort of a bit of a false start in trying to, you know, increase some rates. But talk about the legislative process that we're following here. And if you're listening elsewhere outside of California, a number of other state associations are changing their rates, certainly at the American Amateur Association level, looking at changing federal uh, rates as well and, and reimbursement. But in California, Melissa, what's our, what's our plan of attack? Well, the CAA is really about uh, retention and EMS, and it's very important to uh, myself as the board member and other board members to try to better EMS in California. And it's been extremely challenging for us to retain employees because the wages are so low. We are receiving income um, from the state for the last 22 years, it has been the same with no change. And you could basically take an Uber and it is more expensive than what an ambulance would be. So we have been campaigning uh, religiously, uh, regularly. I know that my staff has campaigned with us to try to uh, better the industry and to ask the governor to pay us our fair share so that we could, you know, pay our EMS heroes what we believe, you know, they should be paid. Uh, California is ranks 46 of the 50th lowest paid. Um, there's other states that pay six times as much as us, and we just want to be paid adequately for our work so we could uh, pay our labor what we believe they should get paid. Now that leads me on to, and, and actually you fell into my trap there because the last thing you said there was labor. And of course, we tend not to think about unions so much you know, in the trade press, in general discussion, but actually they're a key... Uh, aspect and a key part of everybody getting what they want. Yes, CAA has partnered uh, with uh, the coalition and with labor to try to better and advocate for um, better pay uh, for EMS. So we've been working with uh, several unions with joint messaging from owners and um, from managers and, and different local associations. So it's been real nice for the whole EMS industry to come together all fighting for the same cause and fair wages for EMS. This is one of those takeaways for, for you know regular listeners. We've spent a lot of time listening to various other podcasts of people describing the problems. We're now on to solutions. And so one of those solutions is, and, and I, I heard a keynote, a very excellent keynote only last week, uh, talk about the fact we need to start to take action. Well, the action is that every one of us in EMS is a politician right now. Every one of us is involved in politics. If you're driving an ambulance, it's a big billboard for the organisation that you work with. If you have an opportunity to talk to your locally elected official, if you have an opportunity to be a part of a state association or indeed to lend your name to a campaign, that's how we get active, that's how we activate and that's how we really start to take the step to change and I know as you said a lot of your team Melissa were involved in 
you know, signing up for the signing up for the legislative letters that went to their elected officials, and that and that's pretty good. So, that's something that we have to do now as an organisation, as an industry, as a profession, in order to get politicians to stand up and to take note. What else are you up to in Southern California? We are working uh, on doing social media to try to show a different lifestyle of EMS, and we're just trying to attract. Um, new candidates and really just showcase who our California heroes are. I'm going to shout this because actually I can hear myself really well. Talk about your TikTok challenge. <laughs> so we try to um, get the staff morale up. It's been a little bit hard um, during the pandemic. So we do have these TikTok challenges where um, whoever gets the most likes, uh, you know, will give gas cards. Fuel's always great right now and they appreciate it and the staff has a kick out of it and I really enjoy watching them. So we've got some of Melissa's guys here and I'm going to ask you to step up to the mic and actually you know you've got the boss sitting here she's just told us how she looks after you do you feel looked after? Absolutely. Yeah 100% it's like a family and I'm sure. um, most companies you hear of the employees are just numbers Oh, that that new hire! Oh, that guy over there! No, at um, at the swerve—that's what we call it. Um, it's 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 definitely close knit. I personally know a lot of people. I talk to all, all the departments. They're all friendly and loving and very welcoming. So, yeah, she's absolutely right. She's telling the truth. She's telling the truth. That, that, that's good. Now, EMS leaders out there, come on a podcast and bring your people with you and we'll see if they want to say the same thing. So, uh, um, you know, we were hoping this was going to be the roast of Melissa Harris, but actually it's been uh, it's been great. Melissa, thank you so much for spending some time with me today. Um, you are an amazing EMS leader. People around the rest of the US need to actually know your name and work out some of the things and the cool things that you're doing to look after your people, to recruit your people, to retain your people. But for the minute, how can we get hold of you? You can go to www.ambuserveambulance.com. We are also on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. Excellent. They are exceptionally social media savvy. So as I say, look them up on TikTok, look at some of their challenges, um, look at the artwork in their organizations, pay attention to Melissa's lessons around how to look after your people, um, pay attention to the fact that everybody needs to be a legislator right now, even down to the EMT on the truck, because you're the most important person that our politicians need to hear from. That's been EMS One Stop for this week. That was Melissa Harris. I've been Rob Lawrence. And don't forget, you can follow me on LinkedIn and Twitter at UKRobL1. Until next time, bye for now.